God's word on which the sermon today is based. It's taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and I will read from verse uh, 17 to 30. And please follow along as this portion of scripture that we're going to read is so dense. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I'm working. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own account, accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has not, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and all my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Friends, if you have been with us in the last four months, we've been in this journey looking at the Gospel of John. And this may well be the most important journey you have ever taken, being transformed to the likeness of Christ as we see him in the scripture through his claims, through his miracles, through what he said and did. But this chapter that we are looking at today is so deep, but as you look down into the water, you can see clearly the glory of Christ. This chapter is so highly concentrated, it's almost similar to uh, an experience of drinking short black coffee of premium grade coffee beans, right? It's very dense, and I hope uh, the 30 minutes uh, that we have will be doing justice, at least some of it, to what we're going to uh, look at. If you are Christians, you would see there's this passage talks about Christology at its very essence. If you are not yet 
Christian, you may have thought, you know, I do believe in God, like a lot of people in this world, but where does Jesus fit in? What does Jesus have anything to do with God? Because he was a human. And if that's what you think, this passage provides the answer with such an unmistakable clarity that you cannot have a living God without realizing that the living God has committed to Jesus the very issues of life and death. So let's look at this uh, passage under three subheadings. The first one, the Son perfectly obeys. He's the perfect Son of God, and the Son obeys perfectly. So friends, I have to recap what we um, looked at last week. Last week we heard Jesus heal the paralyzed man at a pool called Bethesda in John 5, 1 to 16. The religious leaders at the time did not think much of Jesus' ability to heal a paralytic. They focused instead on him as a Sabbath breaker. And instead of rejoicing at the wonderful um, healing of this paralyzed man, the religious leaders did two things. They condemned this lame man for carrying his mat and thereby, thereby breaking the law. And the second thing they did, they began to persecute Jesus because he was doing the things on the Sabbath. And starting that point, for the next 18 months, they would try to kill Jesus until he did die on the cross. So I mentioned last week that Jesus deliberately healed the lame man on Sabbath day. I mean, he did not have to. If you think about it, he could have waited for the next day. The man's condition was not life-threatening, and he was always at the pool every single day, so Jesus could have healed him not on Sabbath day, but no, he healed him on Sabbath deliberately so that he could confront the religious leaders and their bankrupt legalistic religion. So with that background, we read today that Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Now interestingly, in this passage, Jesus did not argue about the Sabbath law, though he could. And if he, he did, no one could criticize him. But indulge me for a few minutes just to make this matter straight about the Sabbath law. I just want to highlight three points about the Sabbath and then we move on with our um, text. The first one, if you look at the, on the screen there, the Sabbath is for us, not for God. The Sabbath law was created by God, was institutionalized for our well-being so that we can enjoy God and His goodness. And, and, and the law was given and noted in Exodus 28 to 10. Here is how it sounds. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That was what God said in his law. 
But this Sabbath obviously was instituted not for God, but for man, because it's not like God rested on the seventh day because he was completely depleted, experiencing languishing and burnout in the seminar that you all uh, went to yesterday, some of you. Because we are told in Psalms 121 that God does not need sleep, he does not need rest. He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The second thing we learn about the Sabbath is that the Jews, the Jewish leaders to be precise, added a lot of prohibitions to the Sabbath law. Now they had 39 classes of work, if you can see that table uh, there, the, the kinds of work that uh, were prohibited uh, in addition to the Sabbath law. And one of them said, if you cannot, if, if you carry uh, one thing from one domain to another domain, that was breaking the prohibition against work as added by these Jewish leaders. But you have to understand that the assumption in the scripture about do not work on the seventh day, work in that Deuteronomy refers to your regular employment, your usual occupation. So if you are a, a, a lawyer, don't do lawyering stuff on Sunday. If you're a doctor, don't do uh, that uh, medical work on Sunday. That, that's what it means. But the lame man carried something, but he was not a professional bed carrier. It's not like he's carrying mat every day and selling mattresses. That's not what he's doing. And similarly, Jesus' occupation is not a doctor healing people around him, earning a little extra money on the side and heal them on the Sabbath. That's not the case. So looking at from that perspective, both the man, the paralyzed man, and Jesus did not break the Sabbath law. Are you following me? And the last thing about uh, the Sabbath is that there's always this discourse, does God work on Sabbath? And the question was discussed so intensively by the Jewish scholars of Jesus' day. Because think about it, they were saying that God has to keep exercising his providential labor on the Sabbath or else the universe would fall apart every Sabbath day. But that, does that mean God violates the Sabbath? Now, D.A. Carson, who wrote a commentary on this, wrote this. Probably, the, by the time of Jesus, the majority positions of the Jewish uh, rabbis is as follows. Yes, God does keep the law, even the Sabbath law, but because although he moves everything around, he does so, as it were, within his own domain. Because this whole universe is his domain. So if he carries one thing to another, that's still within his domain. He never gets outside his domain, because everything that was created was his domain. So that, that's three things about Sabbath. God does not violate his own law. Now, instead of discussing all that, however, Jesus chose not to. And that's interesting in and of itself. He did not try to prove that he did not break the Sabbath law, because his intent was to elevate the discourse, the discussion with the Jewish leaders to something arguably more essential, and that is his sonship. 
He wanted to know, uh, to show the people that he is the son of God. And that's why in verse 17, he said, my father is working until now, and obviously he's not violating the Sabbath, and I am working. So Jesus basically said, so if you think that God is keeping the law, if you think that God works on the Sabbath doing all these things, well, if God can do it, I can do it too. Now, the argument only works if you are also God. Jesus claims that he has the same rights and privileges as God when it comes to Sabbath. That's what made them so furious, such that they wanted to kill Jesus. The other thing that offended them was, of course, Jesus called uh, God the Father, my Father is also working, because the Jewish on that day, and until now, actually, they always called God our Father. But Jesus made it personal because he had a special, a unique relationship with the Father, and that made them furious. And, and, and uh, the slide, uh, you go back to the previous slide, said the Son can do nothing of himself, or the next one, rather, the next slide, please. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Now, verse 19 is an important verse because it is the answer to the charge of verse 18. The charge of verse 18 from the Jewish leaders basically said, hang on, you are making God your own father. That means you are making yourself equal with God. So the Jewish leaders realized that, that Jesus made himself equal with God. And then Jesus answered, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Now you will see this phrase truly, truly repeated three times in this passage that we have read. And in fact, in the whole Gospel of John, truly, truly has been used, this double Amen. In, in the actual uh, Greek, you will see that the word truly, truly is actually amen, amen. Right? Yes, yes. Basically, that means what I'm about to say is very important. So whenever you read uh, the Gospel of John and you found this double amens, truly, truly, you have to pay attention to what comes after that. So Jesus said, the son can do nothing of his own accord. That means when he healed the paralyzed man, it's not like because he thought, I have nothing to do, I want to heal this man because I have compassion. No, that was the Father's will. And because God the Father wanted to heal this man, and yet that's why Jesus healed this man. He, Jesus never done anything independently of God. He was and is fully submitted to the Father's Will this submission obviously comes by choice, not by coercion or because he was inferior. No, he chose to submit to the Father. It's not simply that he does not act in independence of the Father. He cannot act in independence of the Father. So this is an extraordinary statement about his obedience, his perfect obedience. None of us None of us in this room, no one in this world would even dare to say that we can do exactly what God does. 
We can't do it. We simply can't do it. Not even a day. Because we do not love Him with all our hearts, our minds, our strengths, and um, our souls. But Jesus can, and Jesus does, and He obeys God perfectly. The Son on earth perfectly obeys the Father in heaven. That's why the life of Jesus is a perfect revelation of the Father in heaven. So if you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want, you want to know what God is like, just look at what Jesus has done and said in these pages of Scripture. In John 14, 8 and 9, we can eavesdrop that query that Philip asked Jesus. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So how am I to know God? By looking at Christ. As I see Christ, I have a perfect revelation of God because Jesus the Son obey God the Father perfectly. The second point, the Son not only perfectly obeys, but He also perfectly gives life. And we're going to look at verse 20 that reads, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. Friends, because we, uh, many of us uh, are from, um, I guess, uh, Asia, you would know in a lot of Asian countries, uh, the majority of businesses are family business. And typically what that means is that the first generation, the parents, the father, will then give the businesses to the son and to the daughters. Now, God the Father, as it were, committed the family business to Jesus. Not because God himself is retiring, but because he loves him. He trusts him. And it is in his eternal purpose to put everything in the hands of Jesus, his beloved son. But you may ask, what is this greater work? Or oh, actually, that's in plural the greater works that were meant in, in this verse. Not greater miracles. You know, Jesus has healed the uh, paralyzed man. Jesus had uh, turned water into wine. Does that mean that Jesus will show greater miracles? Yes, he would, actually. He would raise uh, Lazarus from, uh, the, the, uh, from death. But this is not about miracles. This is something far beyond miracles, a million times more significant in terms of the scope and reach. God the Father has committed to Jesus the work of giving people life, the work of raising them from the dead. So if you look at verse 21 um, in the next slide, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. Verse 25. And the Son and Him, and him alone can give life 
to whoever he is pleased to give. He can perfectly give life because like his father, Jesus is omniscient. Jesus knows everything. There's nothing that we do. There's nothing we can hide in our hearts that he does not know. He knows everything that is happening and about to happen in our lives. And that's why he can give that life. In verse 25, Jesus said, an hour is coming, obviously, uh, it is now here, that he refers to uh, Lazarus, um, risen from the dead in John 11. He will show us that, that it, with his coming to earth, the actual power to raise the dead is actually already among us. Now, what is interesting there, uh, uh, the apostle actually combine the two together, raising the dead and gives them life. Now friends, these two are things that men cannot do. No matter how great our medical breakthroughs have been over the past decade or so. I watched uh, The Blue Zone um, on Netflix recently. I don't know if you have uh, watched that uh, documentary. And in that documentary, they said there are a few rare longevity hotspots around the world where people are thriving into their hundreds, the so-called centenarians. The centenarians live in remote places such as Okinawa in Japan or uh, Sardinia in Italy. And guess what? They rely not on things like vitamins or supplements or gym membership rigorous exercise, none of those. But what made them live so long was uh, things like natural movements, because they work in the garden every day, they have great friends, small circle of people whom they trust with their lives, they have sense of purpose, and they eat plant-based diets. But here is my question after watching the show. While it's great to have longevity until you are 100, 105, and so on, and then what? What's after that? No science, no research can help us to live as long as Methuselah in the Old Testament. Do you know how long he lived for? 969 years, right? So with, with everything that uh, we have uh, today, we can live until we are 100 years old, but uh, nowhere near Methuselah. But then even Methuselah then died after 969 years of age. And no one, I mean literally no one, can actually extend their lives as long as they want. In fact, no one can raise people from the dead. And in the Bible, to give life is equivalent to raising the dead. So if you want eternal longevity, you should be listening to the word of Christ for there is only one who can both raise the dead and give them life. The third point, the son perfectly judges. Not only the son perfectly obeys, gives life, but he also judges. 
For the Father judges no one, verse 22, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So God the Father has now committed the work of judging the world to the Son so that He alone will be honored as people honor the Father. Let's, let's note a few things about this very important First, see, friends, I have. I, I wish I have uh, three hours to explain each of these uh, uh, verses. In fact, uh, I was a bit uh, disappointed because I assigned to myself actually this long uh, stretch of verses. Actually, I can focus uh, on one verse. Uh, every Sunday, that would be much, much better. But even after 15 uh, hours of preparation, uh, these things are still um, so dense. But let, let me, let me uh, just try to explain to you um, this, this first. The f- first of all, the Father judges no one. Not because he has given, us, uh, given up his capacity to judge, but he's assigning this particular duty to the Son. He has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And yet we are told in verse 30, Jesus says, By myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear. So even though the Son does the judging, He does that only entirely in line with the Father's will. So you see how the two cannot be separated. What the Father wills, the Son will do, and the Son will not do anything outside the Father's will. Yes, the Father has given Him the work of judging the world, but he will not judge anyone outside the Father's will. The second thing we want to notice is that in the eyes of the Jewish leaders, to claim to have the power to raise the dead is a blasphemy because they give that power to God alone. Now, the Jewish leaders always teach the young men and women until today that Jehovah, God held the three great keys. The first one is the key to open the heavens and give rain, Deuteronomy 28:12. The second one is the key to open the womb and give conception, Genesis 30:22. And the last one is the key to open the grave and raise the dead, Ezekiel 37:13. And as far as the gospel records are concerned, where we are now, Jesus had not yet raised anyone from the dead. Lazarus had not been raised yet. And that's why to say, to make the claim that he has the power to raise the dead made the Jewish leaders so furious. Only God can judge the world because only God is omniscient. And now Jesus claimed that he could do that. The the, the next thing that we want to notice uh, in this verse is that um, that really means for us, and this is a practical implication, every one of us literally will meet Jesus at the judgment day. None of you here can escape that. Each one of us will meet Jesus at the judgment day. See, from this pulpit, I've been inviting you every Sunday, week in and week out, to come and see Jesus. 
But today I will have to also say, to be completely faithful to the Bible, that you are going to meet Jesus whether you like it or not. Whether you are ready or not, whether you think that you understand Jesus or not, you will meet Jesus. Every single one of you sitting in this church, every person that you meet at work, every friend that you have on campus, every person that you see in the train going home from church, every single one of us will see Jesus at the judgment day. And lastly, notice the two things that uh, are mentioned in that verse, life and judgment. They are two opposing ends of a continuum. If he gives me life, that means I'm not going to be judged. But if he judges me, then I'm not going to get life. And this contrast is repeated again because that's so important in a much more direct and stark manner in verses 27 to 30 in the next slide. And he has given me authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. See, the difference now in this uh, verse 27, the reference is to the future, right? It's not talking about the spiritual resurrection, but it's talking about physical resurrection. Some rise out of the graves and live. Some rise out of the graves to be judged, to be condemned. See, unlike our court system where you can be acquitted after being judged if you are proven not guilty, in the court of God, if you do not believe in Jesus, you will not be acquitted because you are sinners in the hands of a holy God. So the opposite of life is judgment and the opposite of judgment is life. And Jesus is responsible for both. Either he commits you and me to life forever and ever or he commits you and me to judgment and therefore death and destruction forever and ever. So friends, in the last few minutes that I have, let us consider our responses. The next slide, verse 24, should be the basis of our responses. And again, you see that word, double amen. Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, this is a popular scripture memory verse. I don't know if you have a read or memorize that, but try to memorize it, read it a few times every day until the meaning grips your heart. Because friends, this is the outcome of the gospel. The eternal word of God, Jesus Christ, came to die for us so that we can have eternal life and pass from death to life. Now, two things that we have to do in response to this, to hear the word of Jesus and to believe in God the Father who sent him. Think of it. Jesus said, hear my word and you will have everlasting life. So either he is a crazy man saying that, or he is truly God. And you need to decide this morning which one. Note what it does not say. 
It does not say this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me will have eternal life. It does not have that future tense, but it is present tense. It says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. In fact, the next verse, uh, the next part says, he does not come into judgment, but has passed, already done, has passed from death to life. So what it means is that if you hear the word of Jesus this morning and believe in the Father who sent him this morning for the first time, you will have the eternal life now, not in the next life, but today by listening to the word of Christ and believing and trusting God who sent him. Now this obviously refers to spiritual resurrection, spiritual life that we can experience now. But then in verse 28, and the last slide that I have, this response goes deeper because John, as we saw before, does not only refer to spiritual resurrection, but also physical resurrection. In verse 28, it says, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. There you go, you, you have the word, hear his voice again. But what's the difference? Here is the difference. In the first one, verse 24, you might think, I can ignore that voice. I can ignore what Jesus wants me to do. You can choose to have a lazy Sunday instead of going to church. You think, I have the power, I have the liberty, I have the right to choose to ignore the word of Christ. But in verse 28, this is involuntary coming out to respond to the voice of Jesus. That option to ignore is no longer available to us. You and I will listen to the voice of the Son of God and the voice will bring the dead out of their graves. And on that day, you will hear names are mentioned. Hitler, come out of the graves and you'll be judged. Suharto, come out of the grave and you'll be judged. And every single petty tyrant, every person who cheats on their income taxes, every person who does not listen to God's voice through Christ will be judged. Either you are raised to enjoy eternal life or you are raised out of the grave to be judged eternally. So the test of faith in God is faith in Jesus. God the Father gave this work of judgment to God the Son so that people would honor Jesus. See, on that last day, friends, you will not be asked, what kind of religious practices did you exercise to know me better? The question will be, how do you respond to my son? How do you respond to his voice? Would you hear his voice and believe in the Father who sent him so that you can enjoy eternal life now and also in the next world. Let us respond in prayer.